Well, this morning we will be in the uh, we will be in several passages, uh, but we will begin with uh, Matthew twenty-eight verses eighteen through twenty, a, a familiar text to uh, to uh, many of us. And so we'll be I'll bring the text up on the screen. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus came and said to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So November is the time of year that we take to give thanks to God for his many blessings upon us as a nation and certainly as his people. And in this time of thanksgiving as a church, we, we take time to consider the, both the mission of the church and the work of missions. And for our series this month on mission and missions... I thought we would do well to go back to the classic text of many a mission sermon and missions conference, which we like to call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But there is a lot in this text, a lot more in this text to unpack than we can do in a single sermon. So what we're going to be doing is using this text as essentially a guide text for us over the course of these four sermons to, to consider uh, the, the work of the church, the mission of the church, and our calling in missions. Now, why do we put those things together? Now, it's not just because mission and missions is, you know, derivative, it's, uh, but, it's, but why not just do a series of sermons on evangelism or the importance of foreign missions? We could do that. Uh, and and that's, that's fine. But we put these things together because we believe that the, that the support of missions, both, both domestic missions and foreign missions, is a natural outworking of the mission that Christ gave to the church. And, we, and, and, so, there, and so that's one reason we put them together, but we also, uh, in putting them together, it helps us to address a problem that is far too common in the evangelical church today, which is there has actually been this kind of um, separation or compartmentalization of missions from the normal life of the church. Um, it's, it's often viewed as an important thing, to be sure, a valuable thing, but still this kind of add-on thing that you, that you kind of add on to the life of the church, as if you can, do stu- you can do the church and then, oh, there's this important thing over here we should add on. And, you know, and especially if we're really zealous for Christ, if we're really super Christian, then we'll be really about missions and we'll add that on. But this betrays a fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of the church and salvation. It's interesting, I was reading a book uh, on the work of Christ this week by a uh, theologian named Robert Latham. And and in it, he notes that how the Roman Catholic Church uh, takes salvation and places it under the church. It subordinates salvation to the church 
um, in, in such a way that, that salvation comes from the church. And so, and so you must be inside the church and go to the church, the physical institutional building, uh, and to, or else you will not have salvation. Um, and it's easy for us as Protestants to, to see the problem with that. But the modern evangelical church has done the exact opposite. It has taken, it has taken the church and, and subordinated it to the, the, you know, the, the gospel message, salvation. Or actually not even that. It's just taken salvation and applied it to an individualistic level and just made church. And, being, and, and the, like the life of the church, the institutional church, is kind of just this optional add-on. You can have it, you can not have it, doesn't really matter, because that's not what really makes you a Christian. Um, but, uh, um, uh, but what I hope we'll see this month as we consider the, the, the doctrine of the church, as we consider the, the work of the church, the mission of the church, and the work of missions, is that we will see these doctrines of salvation and the doctrine of the church are inextricably and integrally connected. As, as Latham writes in his book, he says, salvation takes place in the, uh, uh, um, into the church, in the church, and in connection with the church. Our doctrines of salvation uh, and the church are connected together under the lordship of Christ. And that, and, and that is where we're going to begin today, the lordship of Christ. Because why is it that we have a mission a, a, as a church? Can we have any mission as the church? If we all get together, if the elders meet today and we say, hey, we don't like the mission that we've been on as a church. We want to change the mission of our church at Bailey Presbyterian Church. Can we do that? Do the elders have the authority to do that? The spoilers, no. Okay, just, just you know, take the suspense out of it, no. So um, our, our, our session meeting today will not be that exciting, I promise you. But also, uh, you know, why do we engage in the work of missions? On what authority do we go out to other cultures, to other peoples, to other nations, and we say, you need to repent and believe the message of the gospel? What authority do we have to do so? And so we start with our text today with verse 18 there. And Jesus came and, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Period. And so we note two things. These two points we're going to look at this morning. First, that a major shift has taken place. And secondly, that the authority of Christ is the ground of our mission as the church and the work of missions. And so first, we need to see that as, as Jesus communicates in this text, a massive, a titanic shift has occurred in the history of redemption. And one of the, one of the biggest things we, we need to understand is that the prophecy of Daniel 7 is being fulfilled in this passage. It's in the process of being fulfilled. Now, Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14 is one of the most famous prophecies in all the Old Testament scriptures and all the Old Testament prophecies. I'll pull, up, pull it up here. 
The prophet Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, and the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before them. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so in this vision, the prophet foresees a time in the future where the promised Messiah will be crowned in glory. It is presented in terms of clouds that bring back images of Sinai and the clouds of heaven and the presence of God. This, this son of man, he says, will have supreme authority and will be recognized as the ruler of all the world in every capacity, over all places, over all peoples, and over all time. The future hope of the Jewish people centered upon the coming of the Son of Man in fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, amongst other prophecies concerning the Son of Man. But it was for this Messiah that the people waited, which they were subjected, uh, uh, and until, the, until he came, they were to be subjected under the Gentile authorities for the time. And so they waited, as they said, for the consolation of Israel to come. And what the scriptures tell us, what Jesus tells us, is that the Son of Man has come. The Son of Man that Daniel talks about, that Ezekiel talks about, the Son of Man has come. Now, in the ministry of Jesus, he made several statements about his authority. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, he said that the Father had given all things into his hand. In John three thirty five. Uh, he, uh, uh, Jesus says uh, something similar. He says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. John wrote later in 13, verse 3, chapter 13, verse 3, that Jesus knew the Father had given all things to Him as the one who had come from God and was going back to God. But here in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus is declaring that something huge has happened, something definitive has come about. Something is different now. And we have to ask ourselves, well, what came before this that Jesus would talk like this? Well, we, well, of course, we're talking about the resurrection. The death of Christ on the cross, his burial in the tomb, his, his, his being raised to life. In Jesus' words here, he is saying that, it, that on this side of the resurrection, he has now received an authority that he did not possess before. But how can we say that? How can we reconcile the fact that we believe that Jesus in his divine nature is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who possesses all power and glory from eternity before he ever came into the world? How do we do that? How do we figure that out? Well, first, we recognize that Jesus is uniquely different than anyone else in the world. And so what we're about to say about Jesus is extraordinary because Jesus is uniquely extraordinary. But Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, prayed that his disciples would behold the glory that he possessed before the foundation of the world. And so there is a glory that Jesus possesses, and indeed an authority that Jesus possesses as, his, as God before the foundation of the world because of who he is as the second person of the Trinity. There is that. That has not changed. That did not change when he, when, when he, uh, when he became incarnate. That didn't change. 
There is there in in the glory and authority belong to his divine nature. He possesses it in himself eternally by the very nature of the existence of his being that cannot be taken away from him. He has that power, he has that glory, he has that authority. But we also know that the Son of God, only the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, took to himself a human nature so that he might take up the role as our Redeemer, as the Messiah. And that work of redemption that Jesus has done for us is to be our true and ultimate prophet, priest, and king. That's how we talk about his work as a redeemer. He is the prophet, priest, and king of his people. And we like to and, and so Jesus then, in addition to the eternal glory and power and authority that he already had as God, he adds to himself a glory and authority, a glory and authority as in his work as our redeemer, a glory and authority that is peculiar to him. And now we summarize this by calling it the exaltation of Christ in his resurrection, his ascension, his being seated in the throne, and finally, when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Oh, Herman Bovink, the Dutch scholar, uh, he wrote about this very point stating in his, in his, in his uh, dogmatics where he says, Whereas at his incarnation, God the Son exchanged the form of God for the form of a servant, at the resurrection, he received the glory that according to his Godhead, he already had before, so he already had that previous glory, but he also became the Lord of glory, the power of God. He obtained a name above every name, that is the name Lord, and thereby the right, the authority, and the power to exercise lordship over all creatures, not merely as God, but as mediator, as prophet, priest, and king, to subdue his enemies, to gather his people, and to regain the fallen creation of God. End quote. In other words, the prophecy of Daniel 7 is being fulfilled in the resurrected Christ who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It is by that authority, is in reference to that authority, that Jesus commissions his church, that he gives us our marching orders, that he blesses us and, and secures us with his presence. And so based upon this, we see that the authority of Christ is the grounding of the mission of the church and the work of missions. Without the authority of Jesus, we would have no authority to do anything in our own name and certainly not his. I mean, where would we get the gall to run around telling people that they're sinners? They need to repent and believe the gospel so that they can escape the coming judgment. Now, certainly we would say, I do that because I have experienced the mercy of God. I was a sinner who found the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And I'm not coming from on high to bestow upon you, poor sinner. I'm another sinner who has found grace. And I am pointing you to the same grace that saves me. I have experienced mercy. And so I want you to experience that mercy that with me. 
But it's still, even there, goes back to the authority of Jesus. And that authority of Jesus as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king notably, notably defines Christ's continuing work as our redeemer. But it also informs the church's work in our mission, in our work, in our calling, in the work of missions. So we'll walk through each of those briefly. Christ's authority as prophet informs the work of the church. Specifically, we go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. A prophet is the one who proclaims the word of God. Prophets don't get to proclaim their own opinions. The youth, grew, or the, um, the youth Sunday school, that we just got done looking through the book of Jonah, right? We're studying through the book of Jonah, and, and there you have a prophet who doesn't want to proclaim the word of God, not because it's too harsh, but because it's too gracious, right? And he doesn't like the people that God wants to save. And so, uh, and so the, the book of Jonah from the Old Testament is a book about how God is more compassionate than his own people, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, but also fortunately for us. And so, uh, and so we have, but the prophet is charged with speaking the word of God. And he is one of the many ways that God spoke in the past, but now God has spoken ultimately through Jesus Christ. There is no greater word that can be proclaimed than what is proclaimed in the living word of God, Jesus. Jesus, as in being the word of God, reveals the will of God for us for salvation and eternal life. It is by Christ's authority, which he has given to his people through the church, That we proclaim the will of God for salvation to the world. The message we have to proclaim is not our message. I'm not a big confrontational guy. I don't like going to people and saying, hey, you're a sinner. You're going to go to hell if you don't repent of sin. If you don't repent and turn to Christ and and find grace in him. I I don't like that part. That very naturally. I'm very much like, hey, let's be nice and let's let's get along and let's, you know, let's do that. And so, but we are given a message that confronts us in our sin. It confronts others with their sin, and we are not free to change it. But we are also, uh, we also are, don't have to feel bad about it or guilty about it. It's not our message. And even more, it's the message of life. It's a message that ultimately is an offer of joy and peace and salvation and eternal life to all who receive it. And so we confront sin uh, and we comfort the miserable with the grace of God that has been revealed to us through the gospel. This, 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 reason, this is one of the reasons that we believe as the church, that, uh, that our authority as the church, we say, that the authority of the church is, uh, is ministerial and declarative. What does that mean? It means we are, uh, our authority is to declare that which God has revealed. And so the, the state's authority is punitive. The, the, they bear, you know, the state bears the sword to restrain evil 
and to promote good. But the church, as I like to joke, is the church no longer the church does not have a jail to put you in, uh, you know, because you didn't tithe enough or because you didn't attend regularly, right? The church's authority is not punitive. It is declarative and ministerial uh, because we administer the word and the sacrament and we declare the truth of God. This is our prophetic calling through Jesus, who is the word, who is the prophet. So we declare the whole counsel of God and trusting the Holy Spirit will by his word and power convict, call, and perfect the church of God. Secondly, we see Christ's authority as priests informs our work as the church, our calling as the church, and our mission and in the work of missions. We know that men above all need forgiveness for sin. Even those who are unbelievers know they need forgiveness because their conscience is disturbed. That's why they seek out all manner of ways to abate their conscience. To, to, to dull it, to nullify it. But how can we declare to another person, your sin is forgiven? What right do we have to say such a thing? To say such a thing by our own authority would be sheer arrogance. But we can declare that someone's sin is forgiven that the sins are forgiven of all who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. We can declare it because of the authority of Christ as our high priest. And we saw Jesus do this in his ministry. Think of Matthew 9, 6, where Jesus says that you may know the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. I mean, imagine you're talking to your friend and you're complaining about how much taxes you're going to have to pay. You know, and it's January's coming, you know, you know the deal, right? And your friend says to you, you know what? I declare that you do not need to pay taxes next year. And you're going to go, you're weird. Okay, like, why? Because he has no authority to do that. If the, if the IRS comes and audits you and says, why didn't you pay your taxes? You're like, because Steve said I didn't have to. They're going to be like, well, we don't know him. In fact, we're auditing him now. He's in jail now, all right, because he, because he didn't pay his taxes. All right, so, like, so it, it, One of the things that we need to know is how do I know that I'm forgiven of my sin? Who is the authority to forgive sins? Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He has merited that forgiveness by the blood of his cross. He has established the power of forgiveness in his resurrection. He has, he has, uh, he has affirmed and, and the authority of forgiveness in his ascension and his session upon the throne. And further, he continues, as we explored for the last three weeks in October, uh, we, uh, he continues to intercede for his people. 
And so we are, and so we, uh, we are declared by the word of God, as even we confess in the assurance of pardon today in our service, that we are, we are, uh, we are declared to be a holy priesthood and, and ministers of reconciliation. That is, we are called as God's church, as those who have received forgiveness of sins, to carry forward the message of reconciliation and redemption as a priesthood of believers to declare the forgiveness of sins for anyone who will repent and place their trust in Jesus Christ. The necessity of God's people proclaiming the forgiveness of of sin in the good news of the gospel is made plain by Paul in the book of Romans who says, look, how can they believe if they haven't heard? How can they hear if no one tells them? How can they tell them if they don't go? They're not sent. And so we go as the church into our own mission field, as it were, in where we live here. And we also partner with others who go into the mission fields that we cannot go into. As we all proclaim the wonderful news of the forgiveness of sin, not based on our authority, but based on the authority of Jesus Christ. And finally, Christ's authority as king informs our mission as the church and the work of missions. And we see this in texts like Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. And there's so many of these texts to to pull from quoting Old Testament passages, but here's here's a familiar one and a wonderful one. Therefore God has exalted him, and this is in view of Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Christ has all authority and power in heaven and on earth, he says in Matthew 28, 18. He has so because he is resurrected. He, he confirms this by his ascension. And remember, Daniel was talking about the clouds. What did, what, did, what did Jesus ascend into? The clouds. How, will, how did the angel say he will come again? By the clouds. And he will fulfill Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14 in the judgment. But until then, Christ has ordered his authority through... The church, particularly through the office of elder. Christ governs his church, mediating his authority through the body of Christ with all its diverse members. And so we go through the church locally and in foreign missions, in missions that are far from here, even domestically speaking, in other states. We go through the church, though, Because the authority of Christ in the church calls us to action. We go out by the decree not only of the the work of our our great high priest, with carrying the word uh, of of our great prophet and because of his word, but we go by the king's authority. We carry the decree of the king in advancing his kingdom against the kingdom of Satan with our desire to bring in our, to the new citizens into that kingdom to increase the joy of his people. 
We go out then with the king's authority, knowing that while everything is in his control, we yet do not see everything being brought into subjection to him. The final subjection of all things will come before our eyes when Jesus returns and executes his judgment upon the living and the dead and ushers in the fullness of the kingdom of God and glory. The mission of the church is then not something that we can just decide on as a collective action of like-minded individuals. Neither is missions merely a product of evangelical zeal. The existence, the work of the church, the work of carrying the gospel to the nations is our work because it comes to us from Christ. And he works in us and he works through us to accomplish his glorious and saving ends. And we note that there is not only a privilege to this, but there is a responsibility, a wondrous weight that rests upon us, even an accountability that we have to Christ to take, carry forward faithfully the mission. Yet we do not have a slavish fear that goes with it, but a wonderful joy, a, 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 a glorious, gracious obligation to hold out the word of life as we shine like stars in the darkness. And so since Jesus has all authority and in heaven and earth, we are called to be faithful to the mission, to the work that he has called us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do not try to come up with our own authority, authority that is generated uh, from our society, um, from inside of humanity, but that the authority of the mission of the church to carry forward the gospel, the thing that actually makes the proclamation of the forgiveness of sin true and powerful and saving is not our authority, Lord, because we would, we, we would lose that in a heartbeat because we are so often hypocrites. But that the saving power of the gospel comes from the authority of Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our, as our prophet, our priest, and our king. And he is our assurance that we are forgiven, that the message is true, that we are indeed citizens of heaven and of the kingdom that is to come. And so, Father, we pray that we would not lose sight of that, that we would not get, uh, that we would not get so, so narrowly focused that, we, that we're just focused on our own lives or even just, even just the, 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 so, the, the ministry of our own church but that you would give us a wider scope of the work that you were doing and the mission that we are called to for the mission of the church is the same for every true church. It is to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded all by the indwelling presence of Christ who is with us to the very end of the age.
So, Father, we pray that we would go forth today with confidence and joy that, 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 our, uh, that the gospel that saves us is true and that it, it, it is true because of the authority of Jesus Christ and that our mission to share the gospel with others is certain and that you will empower us to carry forth that gospel into the world because we go forth in the authority of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.